Mmm, beer. Oh no. Mm, fizzing. Mm, mm, mm. Oh my god, that's cherryful. Mm. It's cherryful, huh? Yeah. Mm. Oh god. All the cherries. All the cherries are in this beer. I forget. They said on their Facebook page how many uh, berries they used, or cherries in this. It is a lot of cherries. This is the cherriest cherry thing that I have ever cherried. Yeah, here, my wife is going to try this cherry thing. It's a um, cherry bomber ale from Golden City Brewery. Uh, so, welcome to A Drink to the Past, the only podcast where I get distracted by all the cherry fullness oh in my beer. Oh my god. How, how cherry-ish is it? All I did was smell it. <laughs> That's a lot of cherry, huh? Uh, very I mean, cherry. For, a per- for me, not knowing, liking beer... It's okay. It's, like, pretty sweet. I'll get back to that in a second, because I got my Sean drink something stupid over here, uh, which and is... And pretzels. A, and pretzels, yes. So the nice people over at Golden City Brewery were kind enough to give me pretzels with my beer purchase, because they are fucking wonderful. Um, so, cheers off to them. Now, you drank the beer on the podcast, so you have to rate it on a scale of 3 to 17. That's the rules. I don't make them up. I'm kidding. I run this show. I totally make up the rules. Um, Usually, like, in the middle of doing something. I'm just like, here's a rule about that. Anyways. 3 to 17. What do you rate that? I don't like beer, so which a 3? It doesn't taste like beer. It's, like, super sweet. It's It's still got beer taste. (laughs) I did not get, like, any beer. Although, I'll I'll get back to it eventually. I don't like beer. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's pretty lame, but uh, I thought it was okay. It's very cherryful. All I got was like a sip ahead because it started foaming out when I opened it. Um, but anyways, my cocktail for this week is uh, something. Sydney Sunrise, that's what it's called. Um, I have no idea what that is. It's another one of those little bottles. It's like, put a shot of vodka in me and I will become something delicious. <sighs> Tastes like grenadine, like raw grenadine. Not awful. You get a little bit of that burn from the vodka, but uh, I put a pretty decent shot of vodka in this, and I'm now, like, a little bit, like, can I have a refund of my vodka? Like, it's not bad. It's just not my thing. Like, if you like, like, drinking grenadine straight, then, yeah, have a a Sydney Sunrise, apparently. That, as far as I can tell, is what this is. Mm. Not bad. Um, not my thing. Um, really, it's just uninteresting because it just tastes like grenadine, though. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go low on this one. Five. Five. Yeah. Ooh. Pretty That's much. a pretty low rating for a cheerful beer. Yeah. Uh, my beer is the same thing I've been drinking uh, these previous weeks, which is still the milk stout nitro. All right. Uh, I, I think it's, I think I'm long overdue to go beer hunting. Yeah, uh, probably. I, uh, I got another four-pack of uh, Golden City Brewery as well when I was out, so I'll drop off a barley wine for you sometime in the next, eventually, because Golden City has one of the best barley wines ever. Like, probably Golden my City favorite. has a lot of the best everything. Yeah, they're just my favorite brewery, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're in Colorado, go, go drink their stuff. It's not like he's connected to them at all and isn't sponsored them by them at all yet, but... Well, kind of. Yeah, you should really. Seek. I mean, they pay me to play bagpipes there sometimes. 
It's just a pre-existing connection, is all. Right, yeah. Oh, and in the interest in of ethical podcasting, ethical, you're, you're just closing that on this podcast. Yeah. Totally on purpose, too. My wife T- didn't totally force on me purpose. to <laughs> disclose this information or nothing. What? Did you play <laughs> I, on the other hand, have no personal connections to Golden City Brewery uh, but other than you knowing still you and... Yeah, and they, I still love their beers. Because you're a beer guy, and you know good beer when you drink it. Yeah. All right, so uh, now we're going to do a new-ish segment of the podcast, which is called What You Playing? Which is basically just Chris and I talking about briefly what games we've been playing uh, over the last week, uh, which uh, I was going to do this last week, and then we had like five people on, and I was like, that's going to be a long-ass segment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip it for last week. So for depending on how many people are on, we might not always do this, but I think it'll be kind of interesting to see what we're yeah. playing uh, week to week here. So I've been mostly playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, of course. Um, got back to some Breath of the Wild this week. It was kind of fun, just kind of dicking around through the world. Uh, ran around uh, doing stuff in weird different ways. Um, it's funny, I got through the part where um, Prince Sidon meets you and he tells you like, oh yeah, you have to go up this dangerous trail full of thousands of fucking Lizalfos and get to the uh, Zora's Domain. And I'm just going to go up the river. Too bad you can't swim up a waterfall. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make stairs with Cryonis. So there. <laughs> so I just climbed up the waterfall with my Cryonis stairs. Um, and then on the last stair, I fell down into the lake and had to restart. But I got there. So it was like, okay, fine. I, I, I got there. It's good. <laughs> so I still kind of circumnavigated the entire thing because that wasn't something that I had thought of. Uh, the first time, but then uh, when I found out you can make Cryonis go sideways out of waterfalls, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I started using that just in exploring on one of my first or second run. I don't remember. But I was like, oh, that makes for a little bit of an easier time getting up here. Just kind of go right up the river exactly like Sidon does, because you can do anything because it's Breath of the Wild. So that was pretty fun. Um, and... Uh, Played a little bit of Assassin's Creed 2 because it was free, and that was fine, but I got to a kind of a stuck point, and then earlier this week I was also playing some Ocarina Time, so I did the Shadow Temple and um, uh, beat that again and shot Bongo Bongo with Ice Arrows, so if you go check that out on the YouTube channel, that's pretty fun. Uh, Bongo Bongo actually has some unique stuff that happens. Um when you shoot him with ice arrows. I actually uh, managed to leave exactly one chat message before you ended that stream. Because oh. you uh, live streamed that. Oh yeah, I, uh, I didn't live stream it. I uh, put it as a premiere video, so it had like a live premiere. So I thought that was kind of a little thing that I would do. Also, uh, we're going to have an interesting thing because... Um, Actually, we could kind of springboard that into... So, basically, uh, Rayman Legends is uh, free on Ubisoft's Uplay right now. So, we're going to have a little video of me playing Rayman Legends uh, up on the YouTube channel soon. So, uh, keep coming to the YouTube channel for more content. And I'm going to actually put the podcast on YouTube this week because we're making a little video here. Oh, we are? Yes, we are. Do Do you have a little video going? I do have a little video going. It's just our logo from the uh, podcast right now. I uh, 
don't have a really great lighting setup or anything, so I was like, yeah, for this week, I'll just make the video with the logo, and we can think about, you know, adding, like, a video of actually ourselves later if we decide to If do I know that. you were doing that, I would be, I would be uh, recording a video right now uh -huh. for you to loop over. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if I can do that with my software yet. So it's uh, it's I'm still learning the software a little bit, uh, but I can do some basic stuff right now. So I've got an image that's just gonna be on our uh, uh, on the video the whole time, basically. So eh, it works for now, and we'll we'll see how complicated we get as we go. Um, also, uh, the last thing I was playing was. Um, Mario Maker 2 because I beat the Shadow Temple and I just got I got Mario Maker 2 like a few weeks ago for my kid's birthday and uh, haven't really had much chance to do anything with it and I was like kind of clicking through the level selector uh, to see what I could make and I actually made a Super Mario Maker 2 level based off the Shadow Temple uh, and I've got some pretty fun feedback from people that played it that are like oh yeah that was actually kind of fun uh, so I'm proud of myself Go me pat on the back. Okay. Uh, so Chris, what you playing? Uh, well, while you were talking about the games you had been playing, I was actively in the background playing Armello uh, with a mutual friend of ours. Cool. Uh, who who kicked my ass, by the way. Nice. Uh, that's a little kind of board, kind of simulated board game where you draw cards and you try to. Uh, either kill the king or be the most respected person uh, in the land so that you win. Nice. Uh, so I've been... I had that for a while, but I've been having fun playing that with friends. I've also been playing uh, Dead by Daylight, which uh, it has some notable I'd call them technical issues, uh, but beside, aside from the technical issues i've been having a lot of fun with that that's mm -hmm. uh it's a game where you're either one of four survivors or you're a killer that chases them around the map so it's got that asymmetric multiplayer thing going on oh neat like left for dead or something uh kind of like left for dead except for there's only the one killer and the survivors cannot fight back huh they, they just have to uh they have to fix engines and get doors open before the killer puts them all on hooks. Huh. Neat. It's pretty fun to do jumping jacks when you're stuck on a hook. That also sort of reminds me oddly of Nintendo Land, which had a Luigi's Mansion minigame where one of you controlled ghosts on the gamepad and chased around the people playing Luigi's that would, like, uh, you could, like, if your light was pointing at the ghost, then they couldn't move. But, um, and then you were safe. But if your light wasn't pointing at them, then they'd get you. It is kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Nintendo Land is a surprisingly underrated game. Uh, it was, well, probably because it came out on the Wii U and nobody bought the Wii U. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Except for, like, you. Yeah. <laughs> o only, like, the most diehard Nintendo fans that I know of bought the Wii U which is still, like, still a couple more people I know than I think a lot of people know, but... Probably, yeah. Like, I know a handful of people with Wii U's, but they're all pretty much diehard Nintendo fans or 
just big, big gamer people anyway that wanted to do, you know, something on there. Um, but yeah, Nintendo Land is a surprisingly good party game. It's uh, like, as just a pack-in title, I think it's maybe one of the best pack-in titles there's ever been. Um, obviously, you could probably make the uh, argument for Tetris, but... Uh, <laughs> Like, like it, it, okay, it probably doesn't beat Tetris, but it does something totally different than Tetris does, because obviously Tetris is Tetris, and this is like a hilarious party game with a ton of different modes that are different depending on, you know, how many players you've got and stuff. And some cooperative and some competitive, it's really cool. But, anyways, let's go into our news and booze. Um, so, as All I was right. saying, uh, Rayman Legends is available for free via you. Ubisoft Uplay. Uh, is it Ubisoft Uplay or is it Ubisoft Uplay? Or how do you? I always pronounced it Ubisoft. Yeah, but I call it Uplay because there's the there's the U there. Right. I'm not uh, totally sure. Also, I refuse to down download Uplay. Right. Because and that's fine. But uh, just as an interesting note, uh, Rayman Legends is free, and Child of Light is free, and Assassin's Creed 2 is also free. Uh, we covered that last week, though. Uh, so yeah. Child of Light and Rayman will be available on Uplay for free until the 5th. So I just thought that's it's it's kind of a nice thing that they're trying to do for it. It people. is. And uh, apparently so like, Rayman okay. Legends, I, I've heard nothing good things about. So. Yeah, actually, it was funny because I was like sort of on the fence about getting a Wii U at launch. And we went to GameStop at some point to get something. And they had a Wii U demo station. And me and my wife played Rayman Legends on the Wii U. And my wife convinced me to buy a Wii U for that game. So. Wow. And I never beat it. And we never beat it. But now we can beat it. I mean, we the Wii U is set up, so we could have beat it anyway. <laughs> but now I've got it, and we can, you know, tag team it on weird different controller setups, like hilarious people. Because that's, that's one of the... we have that much time. Right. <laughs> but one of the funny things is I've been playing everything on my PC with my Xbox 360 controller, which is like... It, it actually feels pretty good. Like, this is a really good controller, and I totally forgot how great a uh, controller the Xbox 360 had. Yeah, I've, I've liked the Xbox 360 controller, or at least it, I've liked the Xbox Series controllers for PC use. Uh -huh. uh, my only quibble with them is that I have dogs that uh -huh. knock them down and tend to bend the uh, ports out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's more an issue with uh, overland rambunctious dogs than it is with, you know, the hardware. Yeah, tell Max to calm his tits. It's, <laughs> it's not like he can uh, wag his tail anymore. Right. Um, so, uh, next piece of news and booze. Inky Pen is coming to Switch, uh, which is a manga reading app. So you can now read manga on your Switch, but you still can't watch Netflix. That's uh, kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I never heard of Inky Pen. I guess it's like Manga Fox or something like that. Um, but, yeah. Manga Fox, man. I, like, I don't even know if that website's still up. Yeah, I have no idea either. But it's a relatable thing. There was, there was another manga website that I used to use all the time. And then I found out it was illegal. And then I found out that my website had been taken down for illegal manga posting. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to read manga illegally anymore. 
yeah, that happened to my, I had like this old anime streaming site too, because uh, like somebody had told me that streaming anime was okay and totally legal and actually kind of helped anime writers because of like the way that the economy works in Japan. And they, they had like this whole elaborate story that now in retrospect, I'm pretty sure was total bullshit. Um, uh, so no, it's the, the real answer is for those, uh, streaming sites that illegally up. So upload, uh, uh, videos is what there is. No, it's not legal. But if you're just somebody who watches it, no one is, nothing is going to happen to you. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like something bad is going to happen to the watcher, obviously. It's going to be to the person that put up the content. Um, yeah. But the, basically the argument was that these people are actually doing a service to the manga writers and the animators and all that because they... Uh, according to this uh, story that I had got in my head when I was like 14 or whatever and watched a buttload of uh, One Piece and Shaman King and stuff on this pirate site was that um, <laughs> ah, pirate One Piece, I get it. But basically the idea that I had was it was helpful to these people because the economy works differently in Japan and they get most of their money not through distribution of the anime but through uh, sales of collectibles and toys and uh, manga books and stuff like that, which kind of makes sense and to an extent might even partially be true. There, there is you know, an element of truth. Yeah, in that. a lot. Yeah. Of, I'm sure they make more merchandising money than the average like American TV show, right? Like, there, like you see, like maybe some Walking Dead stuff merchandise in the store, but not all that much. As, as just as a comparison, but like, like even in America, you can go to shops and find crap loads of manga-related memorabilia uh, or anime-related memorabilia. So. The the argument made sense, but in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably make enough that it's like still probably pretty shady to pirate this. But you know, whatever. Anyways, and there was a there was a time when uh, you could there was not a legal way outside of directly importing the DVDs from Japan and subbing them yourself. Yeah, watching a lot of anime. Yeah. Uh, so, so you could certainly make an argument for the moral quandary of pirating. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's like, I'm not that worried. If Like, if you did it, like, we've all probably pirated something in our life. Probably. Yeah. Inadvertently or otherwise, you know, it's just shit happens. Whatever. Not that worried about it. Anyways, uh, let's move on uh, before we dig too deep into the inexplicable manga rabbit hole that came out of nowhere. What were you talking about? Some manga app on Switch. That was right. Anyways, yeah, was so um, The Last of Us Part 2 has got a new release date, which is June 19. Uh, so that's only about pushing it back a month. So that's not actually a huge delay from its original release because it was sometime in May that it was going to come in. So that's not a big delay. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, and also, The Last of Us Part 2 will be 100 gigs. And now I'm kind of like, 
is that really news anymore? Because, like, this is not the first game to be 100 gigs, and it's going to be far from the last, especially going into the next generation. I feel like we're going to see a lot of 100 gig games on PS5 and If Xbox it was, like, something, like, it would, they said, this is a, this game is a petabyte or some shit like that, I'd be like, yeah, that's newsworthy. 100 right, gigs yeah. is a, that's that's pretty standard yeah. size. Yeah, like for PCs, you obviously get hundred gig games pretty regularly, and even consoles are now having hundred gig games from time to time. Obviously, you had Red Dead Redemption Two, uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, and uh, the new Call of Duty uh, is a hundred gigs. Uh, that's just a handful on consoles, and I'm just like, like people are kind of like still a little upset about this, and I'm just like, why? It's more game. It's going to be like, like there is so much detail in the original. There are so many unique assets in that game that I'm just like, I am sure that this is just going to add a shitload of detail to the world and all that. And I'm just like, I'm all for it. Make it as big as you want. I am good. I am good with that. Um, so yeah, um, is a hundred gigs really newsworthy? I don't know, but that's the news. I mean, it's like bigger than average i guess yeah i mean a lot of games are coming in 30 to 50 gigs still but like they often break that so it i'm like when it will it stop being news to be a 100 gig game right probably yeah probably around the time uh i'm thinking it's gonna be in the next generation yeah and I'm not totally sure that larger storage will really... Because larger storage, I'm sure, will be an issue going into the next generation because games are going to have to be really big to really take advantage of all of the crazy things like the linear ray tracing and all the fancy... uh, Look at me and my T-flops that all the new consoles are boasting. So I'm like, you know... It's gonna. I feel like 100 gigs is gonna be like totally normal by the end of the PS5 slash Xbox Series X. Yeah. Console I mean, generation. Doing things like advertising, we have this many T flops, is kind of a kind of gets me. Right. Because I'm, I'm like, you're just make. Sure, you can say a number about. Oh, this is the number of floating point operations we do per second. And it just doesn't matter a lot. It's just a it's just a marketing pitch. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure because it's sure it's kind of weird because like if you listen to uh, or if you look up all the like basically the way that they both revealed it, I think was kind of interesting because Xbox kind of marketed themselves and like one of their big pushes was the T flops. And then shortly after, Sony did that presentation about the PS5, and they were like, well, the T-flops don't really matter as much because we've got this and this and this. And it's like, oh, so the PS5 has less T-flops, but it might still be faster. And I thought they were really clever to say it that way. Uh, yeah. I was like, you, you know and, what you're doing, taking your time and going after Xbox. And I will you? say a disclaimer that I don't really write software that's optimized to run on a graphics card. So maybe there's some developer out there who is shouting uh, at me listen, uh, while listening to this podcast who's like, no, that's really important for my specific uh, field of work. I really need that many floating point operations per second. 
Yeah. But but then on the consumer end, who even knows what a T-flop is other than like you have a lot of them and it runs fast. Yeah. We're not <laughs> we're not building a PC here. We assume that the company puts the hardware together and uh yeah. whatever games get developed for it will run on it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, next piece of news and booze, uh, also Assassin's Creed related, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla got its first trailer, I think yesterday, uh, will launch holiday 2020. Uh, did you see the trailer? I was wondering. I did not. I was thinking about, uh, texting you the watch the trailer or something and then I forgot. But, um, so it looks actually kind of cool. I think this is like the most exciting Assassin's Creed has really been in like forever for me personally, because I fucking love Vikings. And an Assassin's Creed Viking game sounds pretty cool. Uh, the trailer looks kind of like, oh, look, jank Vikings. But at the same time, like, knowing that it's also got the Assassin's creed sci-fi thing going into it, probably. I'm like, okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I might give it a go. Um, so so I, I gotta ask as a guy who doesn't really follow Assassin's Creed. Uh, uh, did the story with uh, Desmond ever finish up, or... Is that, like, still an ongoing thing? I am not sure. Um, I know that he's the guy from Assassin's Creed 2, I think. Yeah. Because I started Assassin's Creed 2, and just like a, I, I've officially started two Assassin's Creed games because Assassin's Creed 2 is free. Um, and I had the other, I had the first one when it first came out, and I played it for a little while, and... Both of them, for some reason, have a point where you get to pretty early on where it's like, okay, story is pretty cool. Some intriguing things going on here. It could lead into a lot of different ways. I'm excited to see where this goes. And then it drops you into an open world kind of area and doesn't tell you what to do. And you just have to wander around and figure out what to do somewhere in this like large, expansive area. And I'm just like... This is kind of stupid. Like, it was fine when it was giving me objective points to follow, and I could just, you know, check out where I was going and stuff, but now it's like, uh, in Assassin's Creed 2, the particular thing is I've got to go find Leonardo da Vinci, and it just tells you he's in town somewhere, and the town is, like, friggin' huge. I'm like, where do I look? Where do I even start? I've, I've got no clue. And there, I feel like there, I'm like looking through all of my like uh, notes that you get about... I feel like if the game is well designed, you can have fun just kind of getting lost and right. running into other random bullshit. Yeah, which oh, to on, an extent I could, way. but it's like the random bullshit is basically like guards fight you. Uh, at this point in the game. And it might get more interesting than that later. There might be more side quests later and stuff. I'm not totally sure. But at this point in the game, it's like the only random bullshit along the way is there's guards. And if they see you, they will fight you. That That's it. I'm like, that's, that's kind of boring. And I'm just like, exploring is fun, but only if you've got a vague idea... Like, in in certain cases, I feel like you have to have a vague idea of what you're exploring for, right? Yeah. 
especially in a like fairly story driven thing like this because i'm like the story was really kind of cool leading up to this point and then it just drops off and it's like what the fuck do i even do needs to give more guidance or it needs to have a better open world one of the two yeah i feel like the world is fine the world is fun to explore and you can like climb on basically anything so it's kind of like breath of the wild in that but it's a little different because you can't like literally climb on everything it has to actually have like an edge that you can grab onto which makes it a little bit of a puzzle while you're climbing too so i really like the mechanic but then after this point you're like a wanted man and the guards want you and they're posting like snipers up on top of the buildings with bows and arrows so it's like you can't always rely on going rooftop to rooftop now so you gotta kind of decide okay do i go rooftop do i go street but again you have no direction at all so it's like okay what do i do and i'm like i feel like it's a cop-out to use a guide this early into a game but i'm just like i also feel like i never came back to assassin's creed 1 for this exact reason and maybe if i pass this one hurdle with a guide then maybe i'll get it but i'm like we should have a topic about using a guide sometime. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on. Yeah, that should be a topic for future discussion. Yeah, so that is a topic for future discussion because uh, I have opinions on that, um, but we don't need to go into. I have I have surprisingly mild opinion. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like mine are kind of like I have my own thing, but uh, I don't judge people for doing their thing too. So yeah, you know. Uh, and our last piece of news and booze is there is a Inside Xbox presentation coming May 7th, which will show off the first games coming to the Xbox Series X. So look out for that Halo trailer, and hopefully there will be something else. <laughs> but I'm kind of excited about this, actually, because uh, um, obviously the first uh, trailer we saw for Xbox Series X was back at the Game Awards for um, Hellblade 2 which looks like ridiculously good and i'm just like i'm not even sure if it's like because it says everything was rendered in engine but i'm like okay was it rendered in engine with the uh, is, is are these actually like animated like this or is this real people like it's it's that close uh and, like, there have been some really close photorealistic games this generation, but nothing even touches that trailer. So, I'm like, wow. And usually, the unfortunately pessimistic, but usually correct suspicion when things look a lot better than their contemporary games is that they're just, it's just a trailer. Yeah, because it it was loaded in engine but that doesn't mean that it didn't utilize live action filming yeah so i'm like eh, i'm not sure where to lean on that but eh, um i'm excited for it i'm excited to actually see some games on this thing um you know if there's some really good games for this thing i wouldn't mind getting back into an xbox because the Halo Infinite trailer that came out at E3, like, two years ago or whenever that was, looked really cool, and I would love to get back into Halo, but I'm still not sure. If I get back into Halo at this point, I'm just like, maybe I'll even just get it on PC. Like, at this point, it's, like, kind of ambiguous. So, 
do I really need an Xbox for it? I don't know. But other games could sell me, in theory. So that's that. And getting into our video game topic today, is it okay to make a remake so big it's more than one game? So basically, <laughs> we're kind of talking this issue that's been going around. A lot of people have been talking about this with Final Fantasy VII basically since it was announced that it was an episodic remake, which is kind of an unprecedented thing. I, I can't think of another remake that's ever done this. Where it's like, okay, it's split the, into parts like this. Yeah, it's the same game, but now it's split up and you'll have to buy two or three different games to actually get the whole experience. And obviously, wow. games have done that before. Obviously, Golden Sun is a good example. It's two games on Game Boy Advance that tell one total story. But that's not a remake. So the, the argument comes in, basically, is, is it okay to piecemeal out a remake of something because a lot of what people are saying to me is like I don't want to pay full price for a five hour intro with a bunch of added fluff yeah that it depends on what the remake is doing exactly is what I would say and yeah and uh are, are you and uh I still haven't played the Final Fantasy VII Remake. I know you've been positive on it in past weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, still really also... digging it, so I'm not like I'm not trying to decry it or anything. And I, I will defend it at points, too. But this is kind of the argument that people are giving, is like, the opening section of Midgar is roughly five, seven hours in the original game, and now it's like 40 hours, but is that all fluff, or is that all... And, and personally, I don't think it's fluff, but some people think it's more fluffy than others. Obviously, every opinion is a little bit different. But the point is, like, is it okay to fluff out a five-hour intro into a full game? To fluff it out? You mean to just introduce filler for the sake of filler? For the sake of you making you feel like you got your money's worth? Fucking no. That's a bad thing. Yeah, I guess that's but, kind of where the argument comes in, though, is because, like, some people are arguing, oh, yeah, it's just the five-hour intro with a bunch of fluff. And I'm like, but, I think it's the five-hour intro with a bunch of extra deep diving into character backstories, world building, and the like that actually is significantly game-enhancing over the original. And that's that's what it comes down to, is when you're remaking something and you're expanding it out like this. And, and there's not really a lot of examples to compare to in terms of uh, expanded remakes. We, uh -huh. we do have a history of uh, episodic games. Right. Uh, which is probably the closest thing we could compare it to. Uh-huh. Uh, but the... I, my understanding of it is that some of the stuff is that's been added in is plain filler, mm. uh, but so, a lot of what's been added in has just been incredibly deep dives on little characters, right? Uh, on otherwise incidental characters, uh huh, or like expansions to the story, and there's an argument to be had about whether or not that stuff is good, but at least it's additional in a way that doesn't imply that it was low effort. 
Right. That doesn't imply that you're doing basically the same thing for 10, 20, 30 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the additional content is somewhat variable, because not every single new thing is like, oh my god, this had to be in the game. Uh, so some of it I might describe as fluff, some of the side quests and stuff, where you're like, oh, a little girl lost her cats, go find them. Okay, that's, sure, you can call that fluff, that's fine, it's a side quest. But, to me, most side quests in almost every RPG ever made are fluff. So is that is that really a knock against Final Fantasy VII Remake, or a remake of this kind, that it well, has I- some fluff? Whereas think, every other game in the genre also has the same fluff. I, I think there's a different argument being made here that's it's subtly different. And it's that when people are talking about fluff or filler, they're talking about primarily, oh, let's, uh, let's just drop you in what's a mostly copy-pasted dungeon with mostly copy-pasted enemies that'll take you about an hour to get through and then let's do that like four more times and hey that's five hours of content right there for not that much development effort or money right uh and while i kind of sympathize with the pressures that would make a studio do that financial pressures or time pressures it's still not good game design but uh, in other games, uh, it, and what I said applies not just to Final Fantasy VII Remake, but to pretty much any game that has filler. Uh, but in most Final Fantasy games, a lot of the side quests are uh, you're doing something fairly unique to them. Right. Uh which doesn't quite count as filler. Mm-hmm. Although it, it really does depend on the side quest. It's like, oh, you got to play the slot machines for an hour to win the gambling badge or whatever. It's right. game. I'm like, that's, that's fucking filler. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter yeah. that you just need a slot machine mini game just for the side quest. It's still filler because uh, it's low effort content to pad out the time you're not doing the player's not doing anything that's engaging them right that's a kind of a funny thing that i think is cool that they kept from the original in final fantasy 7 is a lot of these kind of weird mini games uh because like the there's the mini game where you're like doing squats with all the guys at the gym in uh uh yeah and i'm like okay I'm so glad that this stupid minigame is still in. And it's like, yeah, you can call this filler, but it was totally filler in the original. So, how, how does that count? And I'm like, and if it's like a thing where they introduce it and you do it for 10 minutes and they're like, and then you move on. Right. Uh, and it's totally optional. I think that can end up being kind of a interesting way of breaking up pacing uh-huh. and letting uh, I like the golden saucer in the original Final Fantasy 7 because right. that had a lot of very optional stuff you could do yeah but you, uh, then you also got pretty cool rewards out of that so is, yeah. it, is it fluff if it gives you a cool reward You get, uh, it's like oh one of the games you can play is just shooting a basketball but a different game is uh, just playing more of the motorbike mini game 
Uh-huh. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, that's another one. There's like a mini game in the remake where you're like uh, dancing with one of the guys. And if if you do really good in the mini game, then you can get a really good uh, item that like increases your max HP and strength or something. So it's like, okay, that's okay. Right? Yeah. And, and if you didn't want to, then you can just go through the mini game and not do all that well and move on with your life. I feel like when people complain about filler, they usually complain about samey uh, shit where you can just turn your brain off and do the same thing for an hour or a couple hours or several hours. So you mean the first 80 hours of World of Warcraft? Yeah, grind. <laughs> filler and grind are they're not exactly the same thing, but they're very yeah. closely related. That's fair. And I feel like there's not really that much grinding in this remake as somebody who's put in like 30 hours. It's like I've only did a little bit of grinding here and there, and it was all on optional stuff that I just was like, no, I want this achievement. I'm going to go for it. So, so if you didn't want to, then screw it. Don't do it. Yeah. And I, I have run into the argument before that designers shouldn't put something in the game that's optional but players might want to do for an optimal playthrough because that makes the game worse uh but i think that argument is total horseshit uh-huh i think designers should have at least some leeway in designing optional things right that might be appealing to some players and might not appeal to others uh-huh uh it's it's kind of a sore spot argument for me actually oh so this uh cherry bomber ale that i've been sipping on here since i finished my doohickey actually i was reading the um uh label here apparently there is a half pound of cherries in every pint so holy fuck that is a shitload of cherries i was totally right uh and this is this is pretty good. It's uh, labeled as an American style fruit sour. It's really cherry y with like a little bit of like tartness at the end. So it's actually I like it pretty well because I'm I'm not huge into sours. Um but if it's like lightly sour with a lot of other flavor, then that's the kinds of ones that I usually like. So this is this is really good. Um it's not like oh my god, look at how sour I am suck on my sourness because I am a sour and that is the hip and trendy thing to do. I do still miss that uh, raspberry stout sour. Yeah. I, I, more, I mourn that beer. Yeah, that was a surprisingly good one. That was like the one sour stout I ever had that was good. Yeah. Most of the time, sour and stout is like two flavors that I'm just like, no, do not put these together. But that one, it was like, what? It worked? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is pretty solid beer. I'm going to give this a uh, 14. Nice. Mm. Very good. Super sweet. Um, a little bit of almost wheatish, wheat beer-ish characteristics. Um so, not 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 too bad. Uh, so another way to put this that people have been arguing is that 
for the full experience, they kind of want to buy it at one price uh, and pay, like, they don't want to play full price. That Their argument is kind of like, when this came out in 1997, you paid 60 bucks or whatever and got, or 50 bucks, however much games were back then, um, and you got the whole game. And now, for quote-unquote the whole game, you are paying, you know, if there's, you know, two parts, it's 120 bucks. If it's going to be three parts, then, you know, 180 So do you think that factors into this style of a remake? Uh, I think games cost an awful lot more to make today. And they don't cost a lot more to buy. Uh-huh. And I, I, I know we've had a conversation similar to this beforehand. But right, yeah. Development costs have skyrocketed and game prices has mostly stayed the same, which means that yeah. studios go out of their way to try and make their money back other ways. Yeah. In this particular case, I think a lot of development effort went into stretching the game out and adding to it. As opposed to it just being, oh, we're we're just releasing this in three parts. Uh, fuck you, pay one hundred and eighty dollars for the full thing. Yeah, because that's I feel like what the mentality is between people who decry this chapter ish, this segmentation of the game, because uh, they're just like, oh yeah, it's just a money grab, and I'm like, is it like you could make that argument if the game wasn't good, or <laughs> you know, if it was like just five hours plus some filler but it's like legitimately i like i'm probably three quarters of the way through final fantasy 7 at least in the remake and i'm like yeah i feel like i've already got my money's worth the you know the soundtrack is amazing the visuals are amazing except for occasionally there's like an npc that looks like shit but you know for the most part like everything about this game is like one of my favorite games of all time. I'm just like, this is like skyrocketing its way up my list of JRPGs. I'm like, I love this game so much that I am totally happy that I spent actually $80 on the special edition. I'm like, why would you be mad at this particular game? Like, unless you just haven't played it. And I also got to wonder if this mentality would be there if it wasn't a remake. And I don't think it would, because obviously there's, like, The Last of Us Part 2 is coming out. That's That, that seems like, like, having played through The Last of Us fairly recently, I can say it's like, <laughs> there was probably a plan for a sequel in the general future anyways, right? But, but nobody's complaining the, about that. I think the difference there is that it is definitely a sequel. It's not something that's advertised mm -hmm. as part of a complete package. Right. So to that, again, I would go back to Golden Sun, where literally the whole story is not in the first game. The whole story is both games. And yeah. nobody gives a shit. Right? That's one of the most praised Game Boy Advance games of all time, I feel like. Well, maybe it's... Okay. And you're going to have to bear with me on this. Uh -huh. They're complaining about the game being split into pieces and saying that's a cash grab, right? Right. But maybe their complaint really is, is that they didn't enjoy the first part of that game. And that's why they're complaining about it being split into pieces, as opposed to complaining about them not enjoying part one of this. My response to that is that people have been complaining about this since they announced that it was episodic and not since it released. Yeah. So... 
I feel like this bias was there before they played the game. And I, I also want to say again in the middle of this is that I have not played this. I'm making these arguments based on what I can observe from people who have played it and who have reviewed it, uh -huh. and not, and not based on my own experiences with it. For me, it's Skeb. I, I know nothing about it. I'm, I'm just watching shadows on the cable. Right. You're gonna get into this when it comes to PC or something. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I feel like I would make an exception, J just so long as they don't load it down with some form of DRM. Mm hmm. I mean, I guess it's probably at least cheaper than buying a new PS4. Oh, yeah. What's wrong with his PS4? He doesn't have a PS4. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you don't have a PS4 at home, you have to drink. That's uh, That means you have to drink, Chris. I took a celebratory drink because I do own a PS4. <laughs> I did drink. Good. So, um... We've kind of got a lot of different points on this, but do we have a, a final consensus. kind of consensus? Yeah, is it okay to make this style? Is it different than a non-remake to split it into parts? And, um, yeah. Is, well, is it okay? What I understand about the Final Fantasy VII remake uh -huh. is that it re is that it's a remake it's not just a remake, it's closer to almost a reimagining in yeah. terms of how much it adds. Definitely. It adds so much that was not there in the original game. Yeah. That you could almost call it its own thing. Uh-huh. So I think in this case, it's okay. I think generally, uh, if you were to say, I'm going to remake a game, and you took, say... Uh, let's say the 3DS remake of Ocarina of Time was split into three parts or something like that. Right. I would say that was bullshit. Yeah, that would but have been a say, cash grab, obviously. Yeah, but to lay a blanket thing, a blanket ban or a blanket statement down and say, you can't, you must always do this or you can't ever do this uh, in regards to something as vague as a remake, I'm not, I'm not going to go quite that far. Uh-huh. This is, I, I feel like this could be an interesting point in our, we had a podcast quite a while ago, actually, about the difference between a remake and a remaster, and how basically everybody on the internet has a different opinion of what term means what, and uh, I feel like this is almost outside of that realm, because it's not really, it's not a remaster, per se, because it's got none of the same assets, it's, and it's a different game. So is it really a remake? It's got the same story and characters, but that's literally the only similarity. I think if you want the original Final Fantasy VII experience, you should play the original Final Fantasy VII. Because based on everything I've heard about this remake is that it's like something enjoyable on its own. Uh -huh. uh, using the same characters and trying to approximate the same story. But it's not the same animal. Right. Uh, so you need to, I think you need to treat Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake as their own, uh, creature. I think, also on a tangent, because I know I brought this up before, uh, I've no, I think 
you want to do that with probably the Majora's Mask 3DS remake. And mm. I know now that there's at least one person in the world who agrees with me mm. on the Majora's Mask remake removing some of the things that made the N64 version compelling. I'm real, like, confused about the Majora's Mask remake myself, because having played it, I'm just like, some of the changes I'm absolutely all for, and some of the changes I'm like, why the fuck would you do that? It's uh, such a weird, like, unique beast in that regard. Because some of the changes I'm just like, yeah, the Bomber's Notebook, that's incredible. Being able to skip time to the exact hour you need, that's incredible. Being able to hard say that owl statues, like, godly. That That is a god-tier upgrade. But, like, the giant eyeballs on every boss, the, like, seemingly random changes to dungeon puzzles, what the hell? Yeah, it's an example of just changing things because you think they should be changed. I... I am not a fan. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a fan of most of it, but the boss fights are really weird, and I don't understand the changes to dungeon puzzles. I'm like, I'm not, like, horribly against them, but I don't understand why they needed to be changed. Because most of the times, they don't, like, even make it easier. It's just a different puzzle instead of a... A more streamlined thing like is what you got with the Ocarina of Time remake because the Ocarina of Time remake was basically just Ocarina of Time but everything is streamlined with a fresh coat of paint and a little easier to navigate with a better interface and then Majora's Mask was like okay we'll copy and paste that method and then change all the boss fights and some random puzzles here and there and then add some other quality of life things that only applied like the bombers not on it. but, but and yeah I, I think I would have preferred the Majora's Mask 3DS remake to have been as close to the original in design as possible. Uh-huh. Which it wasn't. Right. A lot of things. A lot of things were changed unnecessarily. Right. And I feel like that's the funny thing between these two particular remakes is, like, nothing was changed unnecessarily in... Uh, the Ocarina of Time one. It's like, the only things yeah. that were changed were interface things. And I feel like they all streamlined the interface and just made it a little more friendly to modern gamers. I kind of feel like Lyle would have some stuff to say about the Ocarina of Time remake, but I'm, I'm with you on the Ocarina of Time remake. It feels like the original to me with some mild streamlining. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Uh, I've talked with Lyle a bit about this. He's w one of the kind of people who's like a diehard, no, only the N64 version is the best version. Uh, so, uh, yeah, one of these days we'll get him back on and we'll talk Ocarina Time. I think that'd be fun. Um, but, yeah, um, it's just one of those weird things. Anywho, um, is that all we have for our video game topic? Uh, that's all I can think to say on the topic. All right. Then we're going to move on to our table topic, a uh, new rule. Whenever we switch topics, we have to drink. Mmm, <sighs> cherries. So, table topic this week. Running multiple campaigns in the same worlds. Uh, the do's and don'ts. Also, how do you spell do's and don'ts? 
Where is there an apostrophe? And is there an apostrophe? Uh, well... How have we got into I, two typography today, debates today? Well, technically, this isn't a typography debate. This is a grammar debate. T typography would have to do with things like, you know, font size, uh, font choice, kerning. Right. Uh, well, it's not grammar. It's um, punctuation. Because grammar is yeah. word choice and word placement. Is that what... I thought grammar also referred to things like commas and apostrophe placement. Um, I guess you it's could... Been a, it's been a while since... I mean, it's like a remaster and a remake. Everybody has their own opinion and they all are uh, an asshole. Or wait, how, how's that adage go? Anyway. I don't know. Point is, I, I think point is we're right. <laughs> right, yeah. So, uh, running multiple campaigns in the same world. Uh, have you ever done this, Chris? As a DM? Uh, the only time I've approached doing this uh, was with uh, trying to run a campaign set 100 years in the future from another campaign I had run. Okay. Uh, which I was the one where you wore, uh, you got knocked unconscious by a lightning bolt and someone put a vest of armlessness on you. Yeah, damn uh, it, Peyton. I'm not sure if it was Peyton, but I'm blaming Peyton in this moment. But you were adventuring in the same city that uh, the players of my previous campaign had adventured in a hundred right. years prior. Okay. Uh, so, but you didn't... While a lot of the history of that world would have, if you had played more of that game, would have meaningfully impacted you guys, uh -huh. uh, it would have been stuff that had happened previous. Mm-hmm. Uh, previously, uh, and not stuff that you could have changed right. uh, in the past. It would have just been stuff that, oh, this happened, and that's the reason the world is the way it is right now. Right. That's kind of the only thing I've done is kind of similar, because uh, I've actually rebooted uh, one of my campaigns a lot of times that we actually just recently rebooted, is my Pirates campaign. Um... Which, actually, now that I think about it, we were going to talk about what you're playing about D&D, too. But then we totally skipped over that part. But anyways. You want to import that segment to here? Sure. Uh, <laughs> real briefly. Uh, so what did the pirates do last week, Chris? Oh, let's see. Earl, uh, we checked into a new city. We uh, followed a map to a mansion of some rich dwarves. At least that's what we could tell. We... Uh, Broke in after ang angering a train that was protecting something on the outside. Uh, we split up gang, and uh, lots of us are in terrible positions now. Like Earl laying on a couch with uh, about three hit points left. Uh, someone else fighting a doll that, with most of his hit points gone and no allies around. Uh, somebody else standing on the outside of the building. Uh, it's, it's just a clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... I, I expected you guys to stay together more and, like, kind of run over all these challenges, and now that you're, like, taking on several of them at a time in different rooms, it's a little bit brutal to you guys. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying the brutality, honestly. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> it's a... What's that old adage? Don't split the party. Uh, but then every now and then it happens anyways, because you're like, oh, it won't be too bad to explore this thing that was designed I, I, for a party to beat. And, oh, wait, oh, shit, I'm alone, and the so other guy is getting treasure in the other room. I want to say, 
optimal play strategy is not to split the party. But the fun play strategy, uh, where you get like memories out of it and story and D and D stories, split the party. That's kind of true, yeah. When you're in a situation where your resources are limited, and you're like, "Oh man, I was on one hit point, and I killed that last guy," and then I was like, "Oh shit," and I crawled my way to the exit. Uh, that's that's way more memorable and exciting. Yeah, instead of like, we went into the room and all 12 of us beat up that one monster. Yeah. <laughs> it was dead in one round. That was the end. <laughs> in addition to that, I also played Everyone is John last Sunday, which is a game... If you're not familiar with Everyone is John, it's that you all play one of John's multiple personalities and you each have an obsession, so you're each competing against each other, and one player has control of John at any given time. Uh, so, you're... But whenever you accomplish your obsession, or another player accomplishes your obsession for you, you get points, and whoever has the most points after everybody runs out of willpower, wins. It sounds really hilarious, and I want to play it sometime, so... One of these days, uh, I'm gonna have to get you to DM a session or some such... Yeah, and that uh, my obsession was breaking the law, and I tied with the other player whose obsession was. I'm trying to remember what his obsession. Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, doing stupid stuff. Yeah, that was his obsession, which had a lot of overlap with breaking the law. Nice. We tied first place. So sweet. Anywho, back to our table topic. Um, so I've run multiple campaigns in the same world, but it's been because of reboots. So it's like I don't directly have the same characters, uh, but I always kind of take the same what the old characters did, and I'm just like, okay, I'll leave a trail of breadcrumbs. And, you know, if, if you played in one of the last parties that played this campaign, then you might pick up on, oh, hey, that was my character or the other guy's character, uh, <laughs> you know. Stuff like that, and sometimes I'd even throw in their old player characters just as a random NPC or something. Um, so, stuff like that, um, I thought was, like, added a little to the world for the people that were there, and then uh, the people that weren't there wouldn't know, and so they would maybe sometimes interact with it in surprising ways, like killing one of the old player characters. <laughs> That was the thing. Um, that did happen. Yeah. So, um, I haven't done a ton of this, but I've been in a fair amount of um, campaigns that did this. Uh, have you done much playing in campaigns like this, Chris? Uh, in campaigns where we've shared, uh, where it's been the same world, but with multiple campaigns, Yeah. generally when someone's kept the same world from a previous campaign. Right. Uh, it's been... Uh, their world has been sent, sent to the future, or it's been a reboot of that world. Right. And one of our buddies, like, Owen, does a fair amount of campaigns that are all kind of in one connected world, but it's at sporadic places through the timeline, and it's... Uh, sometimes it's like almost feels like a different campaign, even though it's the same technical campaign world. Uh, so I kind of like that about it. Um, but other times I've had issues where it's like we're running in a campaign world 
and there's another group effectively running the same campaign, right? But their their kind of interactions with the world and ours will kind of affect each other to the point where actually it was super weird that um, one of our buddies like shot this guy in the in a cave somewhere, and I don't remember exactly all the details, but he. Uh, made it look like this guy was murdered by a bunch of drow in this cave, which would be a fairly th reasonable thing to assume because it was a cave full of drow that this guy had gone into. Um, and um, for some reason, the other group came into this same cave and saw that this guy had been shot by uh, crossbow bolts from drow weapons using drow enchantments, and they thought, wait, hold on, what if it wasn't a drow? What if it was like somebody setting up the trap? And it's like, there is no reason that they should have assumed this, but for some reason they did. And then when we came back the next session, like, we were all wanted because the other player group had come up with this theory, which was correct, surprisingly, <laughs> that we had murdered this guy or something. Yeah, it's it, but it was like... There's no reason to assume this. And so what do you think about this kind of situation? Is it, what do you think about, first of all, this level of party, not necessarily party versus party, but two parties interacting with each other in a major, major way in this case, where it's like one of them actually kind of spelled doom for the rest of the campaign. Because basically the rest of the campaign, we were just wandering through a forest. Like we can't go into towns, we're wanted. <laughs> So we, and then eventually we just kind of got that campaign left by the wayside in favor of some other campaign. Uh, but not that it was like a terrible campaign or anything, but it was just like one of those things. What I will say is uh, and to not name names, and but also not vague book uh, people, uh -huh. is uh, I think. This, the campaign should not have been set up in a way where two player groups that uh, could interact that way in uh -huh. the same way uh, without being able to, you know, interact directly with each other. Right. But I also wouldn't want to kind of harken back to the olden ages of pre-OD&D D&D uh, &D ran by Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax and those groups. Uh -huh. Um where PvP wasn't just common, it was almost the default. Right. The game was treated as uh, a war game, almost. Yeah. And player groups would face off against each other. Mm -hmm. Now, in those games, um, it, it was just the one campaign, uh, and but different people would show up every week, and when people wanted to you know, be like, hey, my forces against this guy's forces, they'd show up at the same time, and they'd do a battle. Oh. Uh, and the DM or the referee uh, would just adjudicate the outcomes. Right. Uh, so I think if you want that kind of direct interaction in a campaign world, but you're running a campaign for different groups, you need to... If you want to have that kind of direct interaction, uh, you need to make that a thing that can happen beforehand. Right. 
yeah, that's kind of the consensus I got basically from this whole adventure and from several of the other adventures that I was talking about with another of our buddies that he kind of does it where it's like, it's kind of like how I do it with my reboot, where it's like there's breadcrumbs left by the other parties. We've played in some like campaigns that are like uh, actually at the same time, but we're in another place in the world as maybe even our play group. Like, we have basically the same playgroup, but we're playing, like, a group of soldiers in this part of the world, as well as a group of, like, heroic adventurers fighting the, like, grander evils in another part of the world. Um, so I feel like that's maybe a better way to kind of go about it, is that, like, yeah, okay, you affect the game world, certainly, and that's visible in the other campaign settings. But, yeah, I, I don't think the interaction should ever be direct unless you are player to player in the same room yeah that describes how i feel about that i think it's also easier in did, did are we naming names for uh for the person who's running campaigns in the same world where the players aren't interacting sure uh, in Owen's world. Okay, yeah, I think I said Owen's already anyway. The other because one was my brother Dan, a... which, not to, like, decry him as a DM, but just, like, yeah. that ended up being kind of weird, and I think he kind of agrees with us, and he kind of learned a lesson from that, and was like, okay, yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think in Owen's world, there's a built-in separation mechanic yeah. as part of the world building that keeps different player groups from running across each other. Right. Um, I think if you were to run a game where player groups could interact and be conflicted with each other, you'd need to say, you need to set that up uh, in the first place and make that like an expectation of the game is, hey, what you when you play in this game, a lot of the fun you'll have with this game is that you can do things that directly affect different players and you that can might, show up. Yeah. That might kind of lessen yeah. the blow when it's like, okay, the other player group found out for no, for some assumption that it, it, it was a correct assumption, but still it had no basis. Uh, yeah. Cause like, these, so, uh, Drow would have wanted to kill this guy, right? Yeah. And if he came into their hole, they would have killed him. So it's like, I, okay, yeah, this this seems like legit. I would, uh, I would, <laughs> and with something like, oh, you were framed for a murder in this campaign, the expectation would be, oh, we were framed by a, for a murder, and we think it was someone in this other play group. Let's all play a session together so we can try and kill them. <laughs> right, or, like something. a big ass fight or something. Right, yeah, something like that actually might be kind of interesting. Where it's like, uh, not necessarily PvP, but it could lead to PvP <laughs> if you're uh, uh, a rival group or a, a something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Uh, I would for the way I would run games personally is a. Uh, if I'm running them in the same world, I would either set them in different time periods, uh -huh. or I would run the groups so far apart that they 
probably would never meaningfully cross roads. Uh -huh. <coughs> if the player group gets it in their heads and be like, oh, that place you just described, that sounds like an interesting place. Let's travel out of our way there. Then I'd figure something out. But I would... Uh, I would try and... Exp I would probably go out of my way to explicitly say you're probably not going to be able to directly interact with this other player group. Uh -huh. Or I would say, if you want to do this, we're going to have to schedule a session with this other player group. Uh -huh. uh, and generally, I think when you're talking about this, you're referring to usually mostly the same player group playing in the same world, uh, but at different times or in different places. Um, yeah, mostly. Um, but at the same time, it could also be applied to, like, a DM running his campaign world for two different groups that may have different objectives, may have a different, like, story arc that they're going through and whatever, whatever. Yeah. And I'll say it's definitely also worth it to have a consistent world like that, because if you have a world, as particularly a world that's been built up over the years uh, where you ran a game, let's say, and then the campaign either finished or petered out, and then you set the next game like sometime later, you have just that much more world building that's kind of happened for you. Yeah. A uh, his little historical event that's occurred, and you can just kind of lean back on that. Yeah. And let the world kind of organically grow, particularly if you're not into top-down world building you can do kind of bottom up where you're like oh this is the land these people came from but in this next campaign set in the same world this is the land these people came from set in this other place right yeah and a lot of legacy games run like 20 plus years have been run like that where players have rotated in and out of the game uh, but the world has mostly the world it's been the same world it's just been changing with player events and advancing in years <laughs> cool so is there anything else you want to say on this topic here uh no I have anything yeah I think more. we covered kind of basically all of our kind of like Okay, this is good, and this is not as good, and can lead to really, you know, awkward stuff or players getting butt hurt. That oh man, my guy got screwed by something that I couldn't control. So, yeah, that's kind of how it is. So now we are going to go to the final section of the podcast where we talk about random shit until. We end up saying something really awkward, at which point I will cut off the recording, and it will be hilarious to me. It might be hilarious to you, too. I, I don't know. I'm not you. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Who knows, man? Who knows? Put the button on box. Are you sure? Okay. This beer is, like, still good. Mm, cherries. I mean, were you expecting it to get worse? No. <laughs> it's just so cherry. 
also been playing Cookie Clicker again. Which oh, yeah. It's one of those idle games, but, uh... Do you ever play one of those idle games where you just wait and accumulate things? Mm, I don't think so. Not sure what exactly you're talking about. It's a game where you start and you have a big cookie. Uh-huh. You can click it. And once you get to a certain amount, and that generates one cookie, then... Once you get to a certain amount of cookies, you can buy a finger pointer. And huh. it uh, points at the cookie and it starts clicking it for you. Huh. And you can buy more of those. And then you unlock grandmas and they can start baking cookies for you. And you can unlock upgrades and shit. And eventually you get to a point where you're like opening portals to a hell dimension to summon cookies from. And then they synergize with your grandmas and your grandmas go all crazy and you start the apocalypse. But it's good because you're generating more cookies cookies overall so it's starcraft but you're making cookies instead of zerglings kind of except for you know it's single player and also you just generate you can just sit there and let your cookies accumulate this is such a weird game style i've never heard of this and i'm not sure why anybody would like it but maybe it's hilarious i don't know i'll, I'll link you in the <laughs> discord here Okay. So, oh, wait, that was the wrong Discord. Oh. Now some other Discord is going to be like, what the fuck is Chris spamming us with? Yeah, we'll be like, I guess what the we hell can shill our shit. We've, we forgot to shill our shit, I guess. I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, oh, yeah. the host of Drink to the Past. You can find me on uh, Drink to the Past on YouTube. Ha ha ha. I do all the YouTube videos. Um, unless Chris wants to make a YouTube video, and then I'll, I'll put it up here. But uh, I, made, I made one YouTube video once. Nice. Um, and I'm also on twoguysplayingzelda.com and twoguysplayingzeldagaming, so look those up, and, uh, you can find my articles. I've got a Final Fantasy VII review that was just posted last week, and uh, a handful of other things. Uh, all sorts of different articles and opinions about video games on the TGPZ Gaming, and a lot of random Zelda opinions, top fives, and reviews, various things on there, um, on the Two guys playing Zelda.com main site. So check it out. And this is Chris. Hi, I am Chris, Generalized Irritation Audit. Uh, you can find my adventure module, House of Flowers, on DriveThruRPG for pay whatever the fuck you want, including zero dollars. I don't mind. That's why I made it pay what you want, is so that you could pay zero dollars for it. It's uh, generally well regarded. There is a table of a hundred brand new magical items in the back that might wreck your world. Uh, nice. I also co-wrote uh, Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition, which as implied by Beta Edition means that it's still a work in progress, but it's still but it's got a lot of things that we still like about it, which is also pay what you want on Drive Through RPG. Uh, my co-author, who was on the podcast last week, uh, you can check him out on there, uh, has also written a number of adventures that you have to pay only a few dollars for that are all generally pretty well liked, uh, such as The Sunken Fort, Descent into Madness, First Steps, uh, let's see, The 100 Clones of Timothy the Wise, and Mad Mask Spire, which I talked up beforehand and am talking up again now. And some other adventures, whose names I am currently drawing a blank on. Uh, so pick those up, because they are good. 
Cool. All right. And um, speaking of something, I was going to say something, and now I forgot what it was because we... Something. Uh, what were you saying? Uh, wrote some stuff for Drive Through RPG. Yeah. Cookie Clicker. Yeah, and we... I was going to say we should eventually get back to our... As long as we're stuck in quarantine, one of these days we should, like, get on the Discord together and just, like, look over the document for our uh, superhero system and... Oh, yeah. ...finalize yeah. some of the stuff. Because it's, like, it's a playable system, like, as is, but it's, like, readability in the document is, like, so-so. And I do have book layout software now. Cool. So I might would use that to lay out any PDF... Uh-huh. And put it into more readable format. But what I'd want to do is make it uh I'd wanna play test it to the point where I make sure that people just can't make a build where they glass cannon themselves out of existence for a supers game. Yeah, um, that's kind of a thing that I'm, like, not totally sure what to do on. Because we had one player that totally did do a glass cannon build. He was like, okay, I put all of my ability points into my strength score, basically. Or the, the our system's equivalent is uh, body. And then he hit stuff really, really, really hard. And he one-shot everything he ever touched. And then the very first enemy that attacked him killed him. So yeah, that, there's some still some kinks to be worked out. Right, but I'm like, is that a kink, or is that a point in our favor that you can do stupid bullshit like that? Uh, It's like kind of half and half, right? Well, I'm like, I'm in favor of freedom, but I'm not in favor of making players wary of traps that they need to avoid. Right. <coughs> uh... In character creation. Yeah. I, I feel like when you make a character, they should be some minimum level... Of, you're at a certain level, they should be some minimum level of viable. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a fair point. Because um, it's like, yeah, he was, he was viable to an extent, but then, like, he got one shot. So he was not viable anymore because he was dead. We could make it so that you add your level to your defenses and attacks. Yeah, something like that might actually work. Um, or a, a, a set characteristic based on your level, if just your raw level isn't enough or something. Yeah. That's actually not a bad idea. Uh, so yeah, I'll look over that and run some numbers. That sounds like a good idea. Um, Running numbers, the most fun part of game design. Isn't it? I don't actually mind it all that much because, like, I'm surprisingly good at math even though I, like, really was, like, hated it in high school. And, That's like, fine. basically in all school I really hated math and then at the end of school I was just like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. Maybe that's why I hated it because I was pretty good at it and, I like, I <laughs> never could figure out, like, the problem why is it's, it's just so repetitious in, in grade school. The pro yeah, the problem is that you're learning the same math for like way, three years at a time. You're learning the most boring math first. You don't get to learn the interesting math until later, and school uh -huh. goes out of its way to make math as boring as possible. Now, yeah. if you were like doing Magic the Gathering math, which is still just as real a math, or like some other game math, 
uh, suddenly it becomes more fun because you're getting something out of it. Right, yeah, that's kind of how I've discovered I was actually pretty good at math, is like playing d and I was like, oh, I wonder what if, uh, what the actual statistical odds are of rolling three 20s in a row. And I was like, oh, that's easy, one in 8,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wait. Yeah, 8,000. It's like, hold on, I have to run numbers. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, that's actually not all that bad. And then some of the weirder statistics are like, yeah, I can still even do like all those with like percentile rolls and multiple percentile rolls, and I can <laughs> I can figure all these out. And I'm like, oh, it's actually not all that hard. And like fractions come like super easy to me and all this stuff. And I was like, how did I get so good at math? I don't I like I never paid any attention in math class, but then I was like, oh, I guess it was just repetitive as shit. Maybe that's where Logan gets it. D&D. &D. Yep. I'm going to let of you are. Never kissed a lady before? Uh, I, I think that's untrue for both of us. Oh, yeah. I hope we don't get sued by those guys. If they're listening, then uh, please don't sue us. And come well, on thanks, our Steph. podcast. We'll talk to you, and we, we can have a jam session or something. Be like, oh my god, Stephanie Litch is on the podcast. Whoa. Is that guy even, is he even still alive? I've got no idea. I'll look him up. Yeah. I'm going to sit here and drink this beer while you look him up. <coughs> Let's see. Holy fuck, he's 48. Huh. I will be 48 one day. I mean, yeah, unless you die. Yeah. But then I'll just be 48 and dead. I mean, did, I mean, how old does that make Abraham Lincoln? A lot. More than two. Okay. I mean, you're not wrong, but I, don't, I feel like you're missing some amount of precision. More than three? Abraham Lincoln is more than three. That's our podcast name episode. Okay. 